Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hi, hello, hello. Welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, your look at all things zoo and conservation news. We've also got other news. You know how this works by now. Well, I assume. If not, you'll know by the end of this next half hour or so. That's for darn sure. Anyway, y'all, uh, I wanted to start off by telling you that, well, Frankly, you are lucky to be getting an episode this week. Not because y'all deserve to be punished, although some of you know what you did. Now, anyway, I don't know. I'm in a weird mood again, which is always fun. So, yay. Um, no, but so I have to tell you that I have been absolutely absorbed in a book that came out earlier this week. And so I want to tell you about it. And it's actually a sequel. So, uh, there was a book that came out in 2019, and the author is Kira Jane Buxton, and the book is known as Hollow Kingdom. Hollow Kingdom is a book that is often described as the secret life of pets meets the walking dead, and um, that's a pretty apt description. It is a post-apocalyptic thriller told in a world where the human species uh, is at the end of its time. And it is told from the perspective of many of the animals that live through this uh, end of humanity. The main star of the show is a crow who is affectionately known as S.T. And if you want to know what that stands for, you should check out the book because it's hilarious. And uh, he's just an amazing character. I love S.T. and I love all of the other animals in that book. It is one of my favorite books that I have ever read, to be honest with you. Um, I just I love it. And uh, it happens in Seattle. So as you can imagine, Woodland Park Zoo is mentioned and some of the animals from Woodland Park Zoo feature into the book. And it's just, it's amazing. It's hilarious. It's heartfelt. I laughed. I cried. I missed the lead character as soon as it was over. So imagine my surprise when I was wandering Burlington, Vermont on my day off on Monday and went into a bookstore and was told that the very next day... A sequel to Hollow Kingdom was being released. I got so excited. Now, this sequel is called Feral Creatures, and I am almost halfway through it, and I am loving it again. It is so good. So I am officially recommending that uh, if you like animal stuff, and I, I will say, I mean, this is obviously fiction. Uh, it also is wildly anthropomorphic, which, um, 
you know, sometimes people like and sometimes people don't, but uh, I do. And uh, if this is something that might interest you, I highly recommend checking out Hollow Kingdom and then cruising on through to Feral Creatures. And uh, if you've read either or both, hit me up on Insta or Facebook if you want to chat about these amazing books. Or at least amazing book and a half. I can't really comment on the second half of the book I haven't read yet. But hey, it'll probably be great because I'm loving all of it so far. Oh, and along with being, you know, available as actual print books, uh, both Hollow Kingdom and Feral Creatures are really great audio books. Uh, if any of you use Audible, they are on there and they are amazing. And hey, don't forget while you're on Audible that you can download episodes of the Rossafari podcast on there and also rate and review the show. Appreciate y'all. So yeah, that's my big exciting news for the week. Show is still going well. I have an upcoming interview this Monday that I cannot wait to share with y'all. It's going to be awesome. I've been hearing from more uh, zoos up in the area, and we're going to get some other really cool interviews in. So looking forward to all of that. But for now, I think it's time for an oral advertisement. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com slash studios. All right, it is officially time to get to this week's news. Here we go. Well, it's one for the pandas, two for the bears, three for the monkeys. Now you should care, now won't you listen to Zoom News? Oh, you could do anything, but why not listen to Zoom News? We start off this week with some cool news from the Akron Zoo. The Akron Zoo has received a grant of $68,000 over the course of two years to put into their diversity, equity, accessibility, and inclusion initiatives. Funds from the grant will be focused on five areas at the zoo, hiring and staff promotions, workplace culture, guest experiences, procurement, and partnerships with community organizations. The president and CEO of the Akron Zoo, Doug Picars, said, When we say you belong at the Akron Zoo, we really mean it. We recognize that making everyone feel welcome at our zoo requires an intentional effort to include all people in our diverse community. The Akron Zoo has launched programs in the past as part of our DEAI journey, and as this journey continues to create new understanding, we know there is always more to be done. Honestly, y'all, I'm just impressed that the zoo went after a grant for this purpose. That's really cool, and I really can't wait to see how the zoo uses this money to implement and create new diversity, equity, accessibility, and inclusion initiatives. So now we're going to move on to talking about pandas, but 
shockingly, and maybe even a little painfully, we're not talking red pandas, we're talking giant pandas in this story. Specifically, we're talking about Yaya and Lele, two pandas that have been at the Memphis Zoo since 2003. The zoo has seen many posts on social media recently claiming that Yaya is not looking particularly well. This is simply not the case. Yaya is fine, y'all. And I gotta, I gotta say, so the first time that I went to the Memphis Zoo and I saw Yaya, my first thought was, huh, that is not the most attractive panda bear I've ever seen. And I don't mean to be mean here, and I'm certainly not body shaming animals or anyone or anything else for that matter. But as the press release that the Memphis Zoo put out itself says, Yaya just carries her weight a little differently and her coat isn't necessarily as bright and as full as you see on some other panda bears as kind of what we've come to expect. However, Dr. Felicia Knightley, the senior veterinarian at the Memphis Zoo, said that our bears right now, clinically and on paper, are very healthy. They have age changes that are expected. I don't worry about our bears because I have my eyes on them every single day. We have remote cameras. I have a great communication relationship with our keepers. I can come down here anytime I want. So we're always watching. I would find the whole thing amusing if I didn't find it so sad that just because people think they're experts on animals, they've now decided that a perfectly healthy panda bear at a zoo that takes amazing care of it is not okay. And also, as a friendly reminder to anyone who's listening to this and might be having thoughts that Yaya isn't being well taken care of, don't forget, the panda bears in the U.S. are not actually owned by the zoos that they live at, but in fact are, for lack of a better or more tactful word in my brain right now, rented from China. And the Chinese government does keep track of their bears. If there was anything wrong with this bear, and if the Memphis Zoo had suddenly decided to go from an amazing organization that takes amazing care of the incredible animals there, I really love the Memphis Zoo, y'all. China would step in and take care of this situation. So believe it or not, Uncle Bob on Facebook, you don't actually need to post your thoughts on this one because uh, China and more importantly, the Memphis Zoo, they, they, they got this. They, they got this. It's time for Interrupting. 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 Interrupting, Interrupting John. Well, here's one I never thought I would end up doing, but an interrupting John in Zoo News, because there is some late-breaking news about this story. Uh, I already recorded my main part, but now I want to share the update. The AZA heard so many complaints about the panda's appearance at the Memphis Zoo that they went and did their own investigation and found out that, shocker, both pandas are healthy and well cared for. Again, I, I'm both impressed by the fact that the AZA did this and that they take animal welfare so seriously and, and all the good things that you can take from this. And I'm so annoyed that they had to spend time, resources, and money that could have gone to conservation efforts or to other more important things to go and disprove the thoughts of a bunch of armchair veterinarians sitting on their social media accounts and complaining about something they don't understand. 
This kind of thing drives me crazy and is such a waste of important, limited resources for both the AZA and the Memphis Zoo. Uh, This kind of thing just really needs to stop. I know people have the best of intentions, but um, as the old saying says, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Anyway, let's get back to the news. And speaking of getting things... The Roger Williams Park Zoo has announced that on July 6th, two male Binturong kits were born at the zoo to mom Poppy, which is slightly confusing to me because I call my grandfather Poppy and he is very much not a mom. But anyway, I'm not going to lie. I mean... All animal births are cool, and I have frequently said to you that I'm not going to talk about just random animal births on this podcast, but y'all know I love Binturongs, and y'all know I love the Roger Williams Park Zoo. So, like, to me, this is a huge deal, and it's my podcast, so you get to hear a new story about two new male Binturong kits at Roger Williams Park Zoo. I am so excited. And speaking of births, ones that might be slightly more newsworthy than what I just said, but, you know, maybe not to me. The Perth Zoo in Perth, Australia, has announced that their female numbat, Maya, has given birth to four healthy female joeys, the first to be born this year. This is incredibly important because, wait, I'm sorry, what? Did you just say that you don't know what a numbat is? Okay, it is not. A bat. And you may have noticed that I mentioned A, the word Australia, although that doesn't always matter for this, and B, the word Joey's. That's right, y'all. We are talking about a small, adorable Australian marsupial. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google Numbat right now. N U M B A T, one word. Anyway, this is extra important because it is estimated that there are around a thousand numbats left in the wild, and the Perth Zoo is the only zoo in the world breeding numbats for release to bolster their wild population numbers. So, um, these four joeys are real important, y'all. I am so proud of the amazing work being done at the Perth Zoo and cannot wait to visit Australia someday. I'm coming as soon as I can, I promise. So my next story here is actually just an update to a couple of previous stories. I've mentioned before that uh, at various times, COVID-19 vaccinations were being created for zoo animals, then tested on zoo animals, and then given to a couple of very lucky zoo animals who got to be early guinea pigs, though ironically no guinea pigs were uh, used for the early trials. Well, now it has been decided that these experimental vaccines seem to be working really well, and so thousands of doses are rolling out to zoos around the country. Obviously, they are not just giving these to all animals, but to ones that have shown the most likelihood to get COVID-19, including primates and big cats. This is really exciting news, doubly so because of the lion story that I shared last week, where um, it turns out that the Delta variant may actually be more harmful to certain animals than the original COVID-19. So, 
yay, vaccinations, yay, animals getting vaccinations. Uh, I actually read how, you know, a lot of the animals, when they are getting their vaccinations, then immediately get a favorite treat. One of the bears at the Oakland Zoo got vaccinated and then was allowed to eat whipped cream right from a can. Certain uh, primates have been given marshmallows after getting their vaccination and then some cute stories. So, um... On a side note, if you know people with vaccine hesitancy at this point, especially after Pfizer just got official real FDA approval, um, maybe offer to give them their favorite treat in exchange for getting the vaccine. It probably won't work because humans are not as smart as uh, many animals, at least uh, not the humans in question. But hey, it might work. Give it a shot. And seriously, I'll get your vaccines. I know. I know you have already. I'm proud of you. I really am. I love you all. This next story serves as a quick reminder that accredited zoos are good zoos. And while there are certainly good zoos that do not seek accreditation for a variety of reasons, roadside zoos are a real problem in our country. For instance, there was a brown bear that recently had to be seized from a northern Michigan roadside zoo because of how poorly it was being treated. The brown bear, named Grizzy, had a large ulcerated wound above its left eye. The wound, which was between 4 and 5 inches in diameter, had not been treated by a veterinarian. In fact, there was actually no record of a veterinarian showing up to the zoo at all to do any work since their last vet had retired a year and a half before the inspection that led to the confiscation. Now, it's important that you note that animals do not get confiscated easily or regularly. Normally, their owners are given multiple opportunities to fix problems before a confiscation happens. But in this case, Grizzy was so unhealthy and in so much trouble that like a day later, he was removed from this zoo. This was just one of many problems found at the zoo, though it was the most alarming. The lion at the zoo was so malnourished that it appeared completely emaciated and the worst part about this is that when told as such, the owners did not even realize that the lion was underfed. There was a bobcat that was so obese it seemed like it could barely walk and also had matted fur on its back and neck. Many of the animals were living in piles of feces that had not been removed in quite some time. The entire zoo was a disaster. And here's the thing. You may notice that I have not mentioned the name of the zoo. Well, there's a reason for that. I don't want to give them any publicity, good or bad, and the zoo is closed to the public at this time, so I can't, like, help you avoid going there. But I do want to share this story to remind y'all that these kind of behaviors are de rigueur at certain roadside zoos. This is why Tiger King is not funny to me, although I get that it helped a lot of people get through the early pandemic a year and a half ago because we're still in a pandemic. My goodness. Please get your vaccines. Anyway, but I do. I genuinely understand how people can watch that kind of thing and find the sensationalism of it all incredible. But just remember that behind those types of things, behind roadside zoos, behind cub petting, behind Tiger King, there are actual animals, living, breathing, amazing animals that are being treated like this. 
But now, to ensure that we don't end the Zoo News segment on a total downer, I have to share with you the story that has been sent to me the most of any story since I started doing Zoo News. Everyone was rural interested in having me put this on my podcast. You see, the Antwerp Zoo is banning a longtime visitor from seeing her favorite chimp because their relationship is interfering with his ability to bond with his fellow primates. Addie Timmermans has been told that she is not allowed to visit Cheetah, the 38-year-old chimpanzee at the zoo anymore. This despite the fact that she has visited Cheetah every week for four years straight. Timmermans claims that her and Cheetah have a real relationship and said her bond with the chimpanzee was like, quote, having an affair, end quote. She also shared clips of herself pressed up against the glass of the chimp enclosure, kissing Cheetah through the glass, obviously, and also waving to him. And this is where this story gets, uh, well, I was going to say interesting, but I mean, uh, a woman was saying that she has an affair with a chimpanzee, so I guess it's already kind of interesting. But anyway, the reason that the decision was made to stop this uh, affair was because Cheetah had been raised as a pet and was given to the zoo 30 years ago. And he has constantly had problems integrating into the zoo's chimpanzee troop. The main reason for this is because he wants to interact more with humans, because that is what he was raised to do. However, because of that desire, he has absolutely no status with the other chimps and is often left alone entirely by them or tormented by them when humans aren't around to engage Cheetah and get his attention. For his own health, Cheetah needs to be able to function in society. And by society here, I mean his society, the chimpanzee troop. Thus, having special interactions with people in general and one person in particular can have a major negative effect on the health of this chimpanzee. A spokeswoman for the Antwerp Zoo said that Timmermans is allowed to visit the zoo and was just told that she needs to change her behavior when she interacts with cheetah or other primates at the zoo. But to her, it truly feels like losing a long friendship. I don't know. It's, it's an interesting story, and I have a lot of thoughts on it, and some of them are conflicting. I'm still kind of thinking through it myself, honestly. But hey, if you have any thoughts or opinions on this, please message them to me. Tell me. I am, I am curious to hear what, uh, what y'all think. And now... Stereotypical animal podcast theme song. Here to bring you to conservation news. Now, y'all remember Ron McGill, right? The guest from episode one of this season? The absolute star conservationist working at Zoo Miami? Well, back in March, Ron was contacted by Lloyd Brown, the founder of Wildlife Rescue of Dade County, which Ron is also a board member of because Ron is awesome and does all kinds of cool stuff, that a bald eagle nest in South Miami had been severely compromised by a storm and that the two chicks in the nest had fallen 85 feet to the ground. One of the chicks died, but the other was still alive, lying at the base of the nest tree and seemed to be injured. 
Lloyd and Ron sprang into action, putting together a team and then heading to the tree where they found the chick and noticed that it was severely dehydrated and appeared to have an injury to its wing, which was later confirmed to be a broken wing. Ron contacted U.S. Fish and Wildlife and got permission to have the eagle transported to the WRDC facility for treatment and rehabilitation. After surgery and months and months of rehab, the team is proud to announce that by providing regular flying exercises to build up her strength and teaching her how to fish and also presenting other food options she may encounter in the wild, the eaglet is doing quite well. They also discovered that one of her favorite things to eat is iguana. This is a unique adaptation to the South Florida environment with a potentially beneficial impact on efforts to control an invasive species. As such, and with this eagle now having been approved for release, should she raise chicks on her own, the hope would be that she would teach those chicks to also hunt iguanas, thereby creating a generation of bald eagles that would help provide a natural control over the population of these invasive lizards in South Florida. It's important to note that all out-of-pocket costs for the surgery and rehabilitation of this eagle were covered by the Ron McGill Conservation Endowment at Zoo Miami. And you may remember from the episode that Ron says that is the thing of which he is the most proud in his entire life. Ron, along with Lloyd, has also been working over the last several days to install a more secure platform in the nest tree where the original nest was destroyed by a storm, which is again being financed by the Ron McGill Conservation Endowment. They've also set up a bunch of high-res webcams around the nest. Eagle pairs usually return year after year to the same nest site, and so the hope is that the parents of this rehabilitated eagle will return this year to rebuild their nest on a much more secure platform with the eventual goal of successfully laying eggs and raising chicks. Of course, if this does occur, the webcams will be able to live stream the entire process and anyone will be able to watch it. It is absolutely amazing to hear just one more story of the incredible conservation work being done by Ron McGill. And seriously, y'all, if you haven't listened to his episode yet, go do that when you finish Zoo News. Heck, if you have listened to it, go listen to it again. I can literally listen to that once a week. It's so inspirational and so cool. Uh, thank you for all you do, Ron McGill. And now some exciting news about the Vancouver Island Marmot. This is a critically endangered species that saw its population reach a low of 27 individual members back in 2003. However, because of captive breeding programs at the Toronto Zoo, Calgary Zoo, and at Mount Washington, there are now around 200 individuals in the wild population, which is obviously still not a lot, but definitely a nice bump up from 27. Now, conservationists have found a new colony of Vancouver Island marmots that was previously unknown. This is a colony with 12 members comprised of adults, yearlings, and pups, and it is really good news for the species. In general, marmots will disperse away from their natal colonies and uh, create their own colonies as they move towards maturity. However, the park where they are being reintroduced right now has a lot of things that make this very challenging for the species. And as such, finding a colony that has clearly gone off on its own and started to build and is now multi-generational is a huge win. 
While 12 animals is not a huge number, although when your population is around 200, I guess it kind of is, um, it's more the fact that this has happened that is so exciting. And it means that marmots that are being reintroduced are starting to function as marmots are supposed to and go out and create these new colonies and take over new bits of land. And uh, this is just a huge step forward for the reintroduction program. It's extra awesome this year because there have been a lot of droughts up in Vancouver, and as such, there was a lot of concern about the population of marmots on the island that they live on surviving at all. So, yay conservation and yay new marmots. Did you know that newly hatched fish are called fry? Seems like a weird choice of word for me, since fish fries don't help fish stay alive, but uh, actually kind of hurt them. But, uh, hey, whatever. Anyway, wild lake trout fry have been found in Lake Erie for the first time in over 60 years. For decades now, the New York Department of Environmental Conservation has been on a quest to recover the lake trout population in Lake Erie. These fry represent the first evidence that lake trout are reproducing naturally in the lake since 1965. This is a huge deal as the lake trout actually used to be the apex predator in Lake Erie and Lake Ontario with massive fish upwards of 50 inches and weighing 75 pounds. However, hundreds of years of commercial fishing led the population to be decimated and finally by 1965, lake trout were considered extirpated from the lake, meaning that they were, you know, not extinct or anything, but could no longer be found in this particular lake. This restoration effort started way back in 1982 when state and federal agencies began stocking fish into Lake Erie. While the restocking efforts have continued for all that time, there has been no evidence of the population actually taking hold, especially as individuals still tend to fish there and remove the stocked fish. This is literally the first time that fry have been discovered in all that time. Now that it is known that the fish are reproducing naturally... The next step is for the Department of Environmental Conservation to find out exactly where the eggs are being laid and then set those areas aside and protect them so that the fish have a better chance of making it to their fry state and then into adulthood. This is a huge victory for lake trout. Lake Trout, by the way, was also a band that I saw open for Blues Traveler many years ago, and that played around the Baltimore area a lot. Truly an amazing band. I really don't know what they're up to if they're still together. I doubt it. But uh, if you can find any of their old recordings, Lake Trout was a really cool band, y'all. Man, I wish someone would conserve cool bands from going extinct. Anyway... I really like all three of my other news stories this week, so let's get to them. The first one is that a study has discovered that baby bats babble just like human infants when learning to communicate. And yeah, I'm mostly doing this story because I wanted to say baby bats babble a lot. It's fun. Try it. So what we know is that human babies uh, babble to gain control over their tongue, lips, jaw, and vocal system. But babbling, also known as vocal imitation, is rare in the animal kingdom and up to now had only been observed in songbirds and actually only male songbirds. While there is no way to say for certain exactly why the baby bats babble, 
Uh, it has been observed that um, they do use similar things such as reduplication of syllables when babies will do, say, da-da-da-da-da or ma-ma-ma-ma-ma. Now, you all know, or probably know, that bats use echolocation to navigate and forage, but uh, did you know that bats also use vocalizations to mediate social interactions? And bats, much like songbirds, actually sing. The songs are often produced uh, with high frequencies that humans can't hear them, but uh, it turns out that our nights are actually filled with the song of bats that we just can't hear. And it turns out that the babbling baby bats actually learn these songs from the adult bats and end up learning how to sing all of them. This study represents the first time that a non-human mammal has been documented using vocal practice behavior. And I can't wait to see if there are more species that are discovered to do this and also what effect this has on our understanding of animal language. A two-headed loggerhead sea turtle was found alive on a North Carolina beach recently. Now, I'm hoping that you're caught up on season two, because if so, you heard a episode recently about how sea turtle nests are explored and protected in the wild. It was amazing. If you haven't heard it yet, go back and listen to it. And uh, it turns out that when going through one of the nests where everyone seemed to have hatched, uh, scientists found at the bottom a seemingly perfectly healthy sea turtle with two heads. Turns out that genetic mutations are actually fairly common in baby sea turtles. And uh, when scientists checked this one out, they saw that it seemed perfectly healthy, normal, except for the two heads. So, given that sea turtles are endangered, and given that it seemed like a perfectly healthy animal with two heads, uh, it was decided to let the sea turtle go off into the ocean. Now, we all know that the survival rate of sea turtle babies in the ocean is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly small. Uh, I believe it's estimated at like one out of a thousand will make it to adulthood. And um, as you may remember from the episode about sea turtles, uh, many biologists actually think that that's too high, which is really sad. So it's unlikely that we will get to track this turtle and see it grow up and be a cool two-headed adult loggerhead sea turtle. Uh, but you never know. Sometimes these turtles do survive. And hey, even though it's only one sea turtle, it had two heads. So before releasing it, the baby sea turtle was given two names, Squirt and Crush. I guess we have some Finding Nemo fans in the biology world. Good luck to Squirt and Crush. And last but not least, and staying with our shelled friends, though moving to the land from the water, um, the New York Times has released a video from researchers that have filmed a giant tortoise hunting, killing, and devouring a turn chick in a single gulp. A, a turn is a type of bird, in case you don't know that. This is crazy to see because, first of all, it's a tortoise catching a bird. Uh, it just, it's weird to watch. And, and second of all, because it is very clear that this is a tortoise hunting. A tortoise hunting. A tortoise, which is supposedly an herbivore, hunting and eating meat. Keep in mind, if you've ever seen videos of tortoises or box turtles or anything of the type eating, um, 
turtles and tortoises often have a hard time catching strawberries. So the idea of a giant tortoise hunting a bird is just beyond my imagination, even having seen it. Uh, The researchers who found this were horrified and shocked, and the entire scientific community is now just incredibly curious about what this means. Have we misunderstood this species for all this time? Are they, in fact, omnivores? Was this just a crazed killer and a unique one-time experience? Well, we'll have to do some research and some observation to find out. But uh, it definitely puts a new spin on the term gentle giant that is often used to describe giant tortoises. Heck, maybe I was putting myself in danger when I met Larry, Moe, and Curly, the Galapagos tortoises, at the uh, Santa Fe Teaching Zoo. No, I'm I'm kidding. I clearly wasn't. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see what comes from this discovery. All right, and now it is time for your animal holidays. This is one of those weeks that starts in one month and then goes to the other. So a quick reminder that for the rest of August, you are still in National Catfish Month. And also on Monday, August 30th, it is International Whale Shark Day. And then we turn the page. Quite literally in this case, since I get these from the Peppermint Narwhal Animal Holiday Calendar. And here we discover that September is Save the Koala Month. What a great month. Koalas are amazing. Yay, Australia. And uh, also, their population was decimated by wildfires about a year and a half ago, right before COVID hit, and then we all forgot about the Australian wildfires. Sorry about that, friends. But um, yeah, so uh, save the koalas this month, y'all. Do what you can. Then on Wednesday, September 1st, it is International Primate Day. Yay! And that's it for your animal holidays for the week. And there you have it, folks. Another episode of Rossafari Zoo News is in the bag. I would like to say thank you to my Red Panda patrons, Lara Shank and PJ Bevan. And remember, everyone, you too can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash Rossafari. There are a variety of different levels that you can support the pod at. And if you go all the way up to the Red Panda level, I'll thank you a lot, like I just did for those two wonderful goobers. I also want to remind you that you can share zoo and conservation and animal newsworthy stories with me. Just tag me in them on uh, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, at Ross Safari, or on TikTok, at Ross Safari Pod. Of course, make sure you're following all of those places as well. And you can also email them to me, rossafaripod at gmail.com. And if you do that, I'll say your name at the end of the episode when I say something like this. Thank you to the people who contributed to this week's episode, including Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross, Dr. Natalie Taco, Peter Oilo, Megan Barrett, Kim Cooley, Colleen Lenahan, Liz Dunleavy, Jamie Delk, and Anya Keen. I love and appreciate y'all so, so, so much. And remember, y'all, the term newsy credits backwards is Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. 
Ross Safari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.